Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 4th of September. If you've missed the podcast for the last couple of Sundays, then you'll be pleased that it's back again today. Last time we looked at what Jesus said and did about being set free, and today we look again at freedom, but from a somewhat different angle. The story is about a slave called Onesimus, who had made himself Paul's servant. And so I thought George Michael's song, in which he sings, I don't want your freedom, seemed appropriate. We end with a Bob Marley song about redemption. And in the middle, we have a worship song that I heard for the first time while we're on leave. Some notices. We meet for worship at 10.30 this Sunday, which will include communion and also praying for and blessing our young people as they go back to school. We have a church in the cafe session at 4pm when we'll be hearing about new plans for the cafe and about some of the mission activities that we support. There is a church members meeting on Tuesday at 7.45 when we'll be looking at plans for the new season. Then finally, Who Let the Dads Out meets on Saturday at 10am. This is our toddler group for preschoolers and their dads and granddads. And now our call to worship. Some verses from Psalm 66. Shout joyful praises to God all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs.
God of perfect wisdom, we approach you acknowledging your holy love and your perfect intent for our lives. We gather to discern, to hear your voice, to recognize your Spirit's leading. Give us ears to listen, we pray. We thank you, O God, for your guidance and love, for your presence embedded in our lives through your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you offer us counsel, We thank you for your blessings and for the hope you give us. Thank you for choosing to walk beside us and for being with us on every pathway and all terrain as we go through our lives. O God, for the times when we've closed our eyes to what is good for us, behaved in ways that dishonour who we were made to be and ignored the value you have given us, Forgive us for these choices, for treating others and ourselves badly, and in doing so mistreating you. Restore us to peace and clarity. Help us to reassess where we're going. Open our minds to new ways of thinking, and our hearts to your gentle leading. Where we have rushed ahead unprepared, grant us renewed wisdom, a healthy view of ourselves, and a place to pause to right ourselves, so that we can be ready to follow you. Saviour, we know you hear us. You assure us of your love. Your arms are opened to us, our wounded hearts, confused thoughts and stumbling steps. Thank you for being ready to embrace us, to set us upright where we've fallen. Help us to go forward in freedom and in faith. Amen. Our reading today comes from Paul's letter to Philemon, the first 21 verses. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why I am boldly asking a favour of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ, because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me. Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, to show kindness to my child Onesimus. 
I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favour for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask, and even more. The Apostle Paul's name is associated with nearly half of the books of the New Testament. There is some doubt over whether or not Paul actually wrote some of them, as it was common for people to use the name of their teacher to give credence to something that they'd written. All of these books are letters, or parts of letters, or collections of letters that were sent to people or to churches. These churches were congregations in places that Paul had visited or was intending to visit. Some of them were congregations that he had been instrumental in founding, and so he had a close relationship with the people in those places. There are two letters to Timothy and another to Titus, both of whom were men younger than Paul, to whom Paul had entrusted care of congregations. These letters were a form of mentoring, or distance learning, in which Paul advised his protégés regarding leading a congregation in those difficult times. But there is one letter that stands out from all the others, although having said that, it could also be completely overlooked because it is so short. It isn't even long enough to be divided into chapters. The letter to Philemon has the feel of a letter that's been tucked between the pages of a book, where it's lain waiting to be discovered some years hence. And maybe that was the case. Maybe this little letter to Philemon was a few lines that had been found between the pages of more significant material, but because it had Paul's name on it, it couldn't simply be tossed aside and had to be included. On the other hand, perhaps it's one of the most important collections of verses in all of the letters that Paul wrote, and those who went before us noticed this and saw its significance. A little while back I read a book called Missional, Joining God in the Neighbourhood. It very much resonated with the idea that our task in being God's people is to join in with what God's Spirit is doing, wherever we are and wherever God is doing it. The basis of the idea that God is already at work is that this is what God does, and God has shown us that this is so by coming amongst us, having been born into our world. Two gospel writers refer directly to the birth of Jesus, and a third makes poetic reference to it. Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born, his parents became refugees, 
fleeing to Egypt in fear for their lives. Luke and Matthew both tell us that Jesus was born in dubious circumstances to an unwed mother and with far-fetched rumours about the child's paternity. Luke also tells us that the birth was not without its drama, it having occurred while on a trip out of town and with family and friends all turning their backs on Jesus' mother and her fiancé. It is John who tells us that God sent his son to live here, pitching his tent among us. Well, it's a while since we've been camping, but one of the elements of camping that I miss is what probably puts a lot of people off. While there is a reasonable amount of privacy, there is still far more of a sense of communal living than one is used to in our houses at home. When we are camping, we are much more in touch with the lives of others. The Gospel according to John uses the expression that when God's Son took on a human body, he pitched his tent among us. Jesus lived among us. Jesus shared our existence. Jesus was not insulated from the world. And so God has known our world. A device beloved by television executives is to get famous people to walk a mile in the shoes of someone else. One of my favourite versions of these is Undercover Boss, where the CEO of a large company disguises him or herself and goes to work on the shop floor. The way this usually pans out is that the boss gets to see how hard it is living on minimum wage and how difficult are the lives of some of the people that the organisation employs. At the end, the boss is revealed for who they really are and the people who've shown themselves to have the company at heart despite their own difficulties, are rewarded in some way. Now this makes for heartwarming television, and it's hard not to feel a little emotional at the end. But what would be an interesting twist would be for the boss to share the experiences of their employees, but not just for a week, but for the rest of their lives. While it's an interesting exercise for the undercover boss, the CEO knows that after a week, he or she is going back to a comfortable boss's life. But what if having entered this other world, there was no escape? Of course, no one would volunteer for this, although I think that this is a reasonable analogy for what God has done. In the past, missionaries used to replicate the lifestyle that they enjoyed at home when they were living overseas. I remember a retired BMS missionary in my last church telling me that the Americans in Congo, where she worked, always had it much more cushy than they did with BMS. To live just as those amongst whom you have come to serve requires a particular commitment. There was a young couple a year ahead of me when I was studying at Regent's Park College. Some listening to this podcast might remember that I invited Neil Roberts to come to visit us for one of our Church in the Café afternoons and tell his story. Neil wasn't your usual ministerial student. While most of us had already been to university and worked in another career, Neil had come just a few years after having left school. He had a rather long, matted ponytail and looked pretty disreputable. I don't think that he had an easy time at college because he didn't seem to fit in and was perhaps perceived to have an attitude. When Neil left college, he went to Chelmsley Wood, a large housing estate outside Birmingham. Neil and his wife, another single student and two other couples formed a community in which those who worked supported Neil and Paul in their ministry to the community on the estate. 
all dropped out fairly quickly, and I remember wondering how long this project was going to last. I don't know about the other two couples, but Neil and Helen carried on and on and on, and they're still there. Neil was awarded the British Empire Medal in the Queen's Birthday Honours List in 2016 for his work among this community. He carried on living there amongst the people. I'm pleased with the way that it seemed to me that there is a connection with the idea of joining with God in the neighbourhood and this letter to Philemon. The reason I say this is because this letter is not primarily intended to teach anything about theology. However, in its dealing with a real human situation, it actually addresses some very profound matters about God and God's church. Freedom is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Much of Paul's letter to the church at Rome is about the way in which both Jews and Greeks have been freed from the effects of sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus himself used the idea of a slave having been ransomed from sin to show the way in which God had freed men and women from the penalty of sin so that now they had been freed from slavery to sin and could live life freely from fear of death. At a more practical level, Jesus was free from the restrictions that society placed upon people and he was a friend of rich and poor, of the upright and of prostitutes, tax collectors and sinners, and he freed them from the box into which their society had placed them and he gave them hope for the future with the promise that God loved and cared for them just as much as for those whom society seemed to value more highly. The occasion when Jesus preached in the synagogue in Nazareth at the start of his ministry is often seen as a sort of manifesto for change, a statement by Jesus at the start of his ministry setting out what God's kingdom is all about. These were revolutionary words in the sense that Jesus' intention was that the world should be turned upside down. In God's kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. And there it is again, that word free. So, when we come to a piece of correspondence which deals with a problem in the relationship between a master and a slave who appears to have absconded, we are pretty clear what to expect. Surely the cry will be, what do we want? Freedom. When do we want it? Now. Well, let's see. From the philosophical and theological approach of Paul's letter to Roman Christians, we move to the letter to Philemon and to the reality of life as it has to be lived. From the inspirational, we move to the practical. From a general discussion involving slavery, Paul moves us to the situation of one particular slave. Onesimus was a slave in the household of Philemon, and for whatever reason, he had become a runaway. He wasn't unique, as it was not unknown for slaves to escape from their masters and try to become lost in the mass of people who were moving around the empire. What was unusual in this particular case was that Onesimus had attached himself to a Christian apostle, and that while under his protection, the slave had become a Christian. A further coincidence was that the slave's master was also a Christian and that Paul knew him. 
In the course of the letter, we learn that Onesimus had in some way wronged his master. This might just mean that he had run away, or it might refer to the reason for his running away. Perhaps something had been stolen from Philemon's home. Paul refers to what is owed to Philemon, and this might be money taken, but it could simply mean that Philemon had lost the use of his slave for the time that Onesimus was away. Paul might have been in a difficult situation. Onesimus had been good to him. Paul was in prison when he was writing to Philemon, but we believe that it's unlikely that Onesimus was also a prisoner, as the authorities would have sent a runaway slave back to his master. It seems that Onesimus had chosen to remain close to Paul in prison, although the slave himself was not a prisoner. Paul might have wanted Onesimus to stay with him. After all, it is a good companion who stays close in times of trouble. But Paul would have known that Onesimus couldn't stay with him on two counts. First, to keep a slave owned by another man would be the same as theft. Secondly, Paul knew that to have a runaway slave of a Christian brother as a close companion would be a breach of Christian fellowship. So the only answer was to send Onesimus back to Philemon and to send him back with a letter. In Paul's letter, he makes a request to Philemon, but we have to read a long way through to find out what it is. In verse 17, Paul asks that Philemon receive Onesimus as he receives Paul as a Christian brother. To oil the wheels of Christian fellowship, Paul is even prepared to make good any losses Philemon might have. This request by Paul is made in the knowledge that to offer fellowship to a Christian brother or sister is the will of God. But Paul hopes that Philemon would do even more. Well, what might this be? It might be that Philemon would grant the slave his freedom, but perhaps it's even more than this, as Paul drops strong hints that he would like to have Onesimus back working with him again. Paul's letter to Philemon is not the strongest cry against slavery that you'll ever have heard. Nor do we find anywhere in the Old or New Testaments much in the way of a declaration against slavery. Rather, it was an accepted part of life. Yet what Christianity did was promote a way of looking at human relationships which would ultimately be the death knell of slavery, although it took a long time to die in the Western world and it still exists in some form wherever people live. The letter to the Colossians, while not calling for the release of slaves, makes it clear that slaves and masters are equal in the eyes of God and that whether slave or free, Christians are brothers and sisters in Christ. While the letter to Philemon doesn't attack slavery as an evil, it does throw up a number of questions which could be said to bring it into disrepute. While slavery is not dead, and there are many ways in which women and men can be enslaved without formal bonding of one person to another, in conclusion I want us to think beyond this one issue to two more general principles that underpin this letter. And these have to do with human relationships involving Christians. Paul was an apostle and a man who was known in the churches and certainly in the congregation which met in the home of Philemon. With his position came authority, but it is noticeable that Paul doesn't wield this authority in his letter to Philemon. Paul appeals to Philemon's generosity and notes his Christian love, which is actively demonstrated to all God's people. 
Paul's plea to Philemon is grounded in this appeal to Philemon's Christian love and not in Paul's authority. What bonds Christian is the presence of God's Spirit within us, which bears fruit in Christian behaviour. Our relationships with one another must be grounded in this Spirit, which we share rather than on any perceived hierarchical structure. On the surface, it might seem that there is not much to choose between the soft soap of flattery and appealing to a person's Christian love. But in speaking of our Christian love, we are speaking about the ground of the relationship which Christians share, which is that we are brothers and sisters of Christ and share together one heavenly Father. When we meet as a church or in our individual dealings with one another, we must always be aware of the basis of our relationship. In Christ there is no Lord of the manor and the faithful retainer, no middle or working class, because all are one. The second principle is that Christians live in the world into which they were born, not in the world as they wish it to be. Paul lived in a world in which slavery was an accepted part. This did not mean that Paul accepted slavery, but it did mean that Paul lived a Christian life in such a setting. Slavery is inconsistent with Christianity. But Paul's reaction to slavery was not to preach against it, but rather to preach Christianity. It doesn't seem that the way of Christ is to speak out directly against that which is inconsistent with Christianity and therefore inconsistent with God's law. Rather, Jesus promoted what was positive and good. His was not the way of John the Baptist, accusing men of behaving like snakes. The incident where he overturned tables in the temple is notable because it was exceptional. Jesus' way was the way of peace rather than of confrontation. It was the way of presenting the gospel and allowing the Spirit of God to act as a challenging mirror on the lives of those whom he met. Sometimes this way, this way of quiet obedience, can seem too slow and we get impatient. But it worked in the life of Philemon and Onesimus. We're not told what was the outcome of this situation, but we can probably assume that if Paul's request had not been met, his letter would not have survived. Now, while it's not evidence, there is a tradition which says that Onesimus became the bishop of Ephesus. And it's certainly a possibility that this was the same man, as it would not have been so unusual for a free slave to have gone on to achieve great things. What I find fascinating about this letter is the way that, like God's Son, the gospel dwells among us. The gospel is not something that is reserved for a particular part of human life. The gospel is there in the messy interactions between a slave and his master. Slavery is anathema to us, but it took a while for the church to get around to speaking out against it. While slavery is abhorrent to all right-thinking people, it still exists in some corners of the world, but it's also present in every town and every city. While not slaves in the sense that Onesimus was a slave, human beings all have the potential for becoming enslaved to habits, to unhelpful patterns of behaviour, to sin. The message of the Gospel is a message of hope, because it is a message which speaks of freedom freedom from the chains which we make for ourselves and the chains which the world can wrap around us. 
freedom in the ordinary lives that we live day to day. And so may we know God's freedom as we live our lives in the church and in the world. And may we know the reality of authentic Christian relationships in our church. Let us pray. Loving Lord, your compassion knows no bounds and you care for every part of the globe. We pray for those suffering as a result of floods, especially the people of Pakistan, those whose homes are underwater, those who have lost loved ones, villages isolated as a result of the destruction of bridges and roads, those who have been evacuated and who now live in overcrowded makeshift camps, those who've lost fields and crops. Give wisdom to the government as it seeks to implement a recovery programme and give generosity to other nations that they may support its endeavours. Loving Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. We pray for an end to all violence and warfare throughout the world. We hold before you those who are suffering as a result of war and civil war, those who have lost loved ones those who've been injured, those who've lost homes and livelihoods, those who are fearful. We especially ask for your comfort and strength for the peoples of Ukraine and Iraq. Loving Lord, you share our joy and our pain. We pray for those who've recently received examination results, those who are rejoicing at a clear way forward, those who are processing thoughts for their future. We pray for their families and those who offer counsel and advice. We hold before you children starting school, those going into new classes and new schools, those beginning college and university, those looking for work and those beginning new jobs. Loving Lord, you teach us to love one another. We pray for those who have been victims of violent crime, for families of murder victims, for those who seek to support them, for the police and justice system. 
We pray for those traumatised by what they've witnessed, those who struggle to find hope for the future, those who keep asking, what's the point? You call us to bear our crosses. Give those who need it strength to bear their crosses and wisdom to know the way forward. Loving Lord, grant to all who are struggling the knowledge of your encouraging presence, the aid of your strength and the power of your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our last song is Redemption Song by Bob Marley, who also wrote it, but incorporated words from a speech by Marcus Garvey, a political activist in Jamaica. But first, a final prayer. In an unjust world, be just. Speak for those who have no voice. Act for those whose chains hold them back. Consider strangers your siblings and free them as God has freed you. Amen.
minutes after they took I from the bottomless pit. But my hand was made strong by the end of the Almighty. We forward in this generation triumphantly. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Cause all I ever have redemption songs, redemption songs. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Have no fear for atomic energy. Cause none of them can stop the time. How long shall they kill our prophets? While we stand aside and look. Some say it's just a part of it. We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Redemption songs Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our mind Oh, have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop at the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Yes, some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption songs All I ever had Redemption songs Songs of freedom Songs of freedom <laughs>